0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of Circuit 42. I am here with Matt Dunford, trading card wizard, Spider Man nerd, and and ahead of all things awesome Comic Con at San Diego Comic Fest. Yes, I know it's not called Comic Con because some lawyer is going to sue somebody. So it's Comic Fest.
1: Ah, uh, yes, it's a lovely little event. And so, and it's quite festive too. And, uh, you know, you can have cons, you can have fests, but there's room for both. So,
0: I gotta ask you before we start, man. Like last time, uh, last time that we talked, you were working in with a video game developer and the comic fest. And now you're working at Upper Deck with Marvel.
1: Yeah, I've made some a uh, couple leaps in the past two years. I'm no longer in video games. I liked working in video games, but I love. Working and trading cards and it's been absolutely awesome. It feels like a lot more familiar territory. Uh, so I have been uh, lately at the uh, talent re- as the talent relations coordinator at Upper Deck Entertainment. I can't talk a lot about what I do because you know I do sign NDAs now, and it's really painful because these are projects that I genuinely like, and it really pains me when I'm not able to talk about something and I have to just say no comment, no comment, no comment. And it, it, but it, it is stuff that I am genuinely very passionate about.
0: So, I'm going to be totally honest, I um, because I will see, like, comic book trading cards every once in a while, but I haven't seen any in a long time. And I think, like, a lot of people, like, like, a lot of people kind of forget that they are still doing entertainment cards. Because I remember, especially comic book cards, are at their peak back in the 90s with Marvel Masterpieces and the Fleer Ultra X-Men cards, which I still have, like, all of my '94 and 1995 ones, which I'm so glad I held on to. Because it was getting yeah, harder and harder to find.
1: Um it, it, it is kind of remarkable that you know that the the market is actually still flourishing so much in terms of collectibles as a whole, because it's not just uh, you know, over the, the weird thing about the pandemic is it, you know, shot up interest in the collectible industry so much, including the trading card market. And so, you know, for Pokemon, for sports cards, for Marvel, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! It's like, you know, what a rising tide lifts all ships and it's been great. Yep.
0: I know um, because our last guest we had on uh, Jim Rugg, he's also, he's particularly like usually involved in wrestling. That was a big part of our conversation. I know um, with Upper Deck, they picked up the AEW uh, cards as well, which I thought was really cool.
1: That is, you know, really, it is really cool too, but it's just, I remember just, you know, getting into work one morning and then my email inbox is flooded with uh, creators trying to participate in AEW. And I'm like, what is AEW? I don't know. And I guess that morning they had sent out a press release for AEW wrestling. Cause I'm not, I'm not a wrestling guy. I'm a comic book yeah, guy. And so nice. the whole thing is just, it just, you know, kind of just surged on me. And so I, I, like I said, I do have to keep my projects that I work on under wraps and I just stay dead silent about them until, uh, you know, a press releases there and so people will come up to me it's like hey Matt congratulations on the uh, Spider-Verse setup. who told you who told you it's like oh no I saw this thing on a card site this morning oh okay so the, the the announcement was finally made so I I'm used to working on all this stuff behind the scenes and then you know I'm I'm shocked as anyone when a public announcement is made
0: can we talk about that by the way now that those have been released I wanted to ask about the because I remember when this well, was as Spider-Verse that was being produced and you're able to announce more and more, just seeing more and more on your social media. And I want to talk about that because, like, how how is that process? Because I know with, like, for it's, it's almost like in a way, like, both of us are big comic book fans in general, but, like, your Spider-Man is, like, my X-Men to kind of give people context mm-hmm. in terms of, like, that. We, we're not even going to say borderline because we are both obsessed. You with Spider-Man and me with X-Men.
1: Yeah, so it, it is really cool to, you know, finally get the, the ability to work on these dream projects. And it's been wonderful. But it's uh, the whole thing there is I always want to give these projects the utmost respect that they deserve. And it's not just for me. This is something for the fans, because, you know, once upon a time I was, you know, starting off as a fan myself. I, you know, when I got started reading comics 30 years ago, I, you know, would pick up the you know cheap issues off the spinner racks at 7-Elevens and comic book stores but, you know, when you went to the comic stores and you look at those ones behind the counter, those rare, awesome, like, like, pieces of history, which were, you know, out of the range of my meager allowance at the time. So what did you get that was affordable? You got trading cards. And from that, you learned about the characters' secret identities, you learned their first appearance, their power levels. I mean, as like, you know, here we are citing, like, you know, those early X-Men series one, X-Men series two. But they gave us a great information and a little sneak peek into the Marvel universe. And, you uh, little hints of characters that we wouldn't normally be enjoying and so just to have these together in a full trading card set and you know for trading card stuff that's about movies it's really nice to get like little mementos to have a little more lasting of a scene that may have been just like a little flip on the radar and then it's like bam there and it's like oh wow cool and it gives you a longer lasting memento of that moment as you, you know, flip through a trading card set
0: now one of one of my favorite things and i remember there was a big controversy because for for when they started doing the um, the uh, chase cards and they started using Chrome and the chase set cards, and you had the stories of people who would go into like grocery stores and drug stores and use metal detectors to try to find the chase cards. And I remember because specifically they changed everything over to foil wrappings so the paper wrappings to actually stop people from using metal detectors to find chase cards, and, oh. um, <laughs> which is insane. And it sounds insane. Uh, do you think anyone listening to this who doesn't really, really didn't grow up in the middle of that card market would think that we're just making shit up? But that's I mean,
1: actually that, true. That that does sound realistic. I've actually never heard that before, but uh, you know, I, I, I was a big Pokemon player back in the day, and uh, one of the things that uh, people would do is um, <laughs> this was a thing because the holofoil in Pokemon cards is slightly heavier. Than uh, a standard non holographic rare card that would be packaged in. So, what people would do is take these uh, like ounce scales in there that you could hold in your pocket. So, they would like weigh the packs. And if it was like 0.2 ounces heavier, that's how you could tell a metal card. I'm like, I'm like, people just buy the packs. It's just like, you know, take the chance. It's just, they were going through such extreme measures for these Pokemon cards back in the day. It's
0: like and the irony is that the standard Charizard card is worth more than any of those metal cards.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is like, you know, in actuality, you know, talking about Pokemon back in the day, because, I mean, I have a first edition Charizard in my bedside drawer. I mean, before That's pretty the awesome. collectible Boom, like that was a $400 card. Then Jake Paul, Logan Paul, whatever Paul comes in. and. George Paul. Yeah, yeah, and he just starts talking about this stuff and I was talking about Pokemon cards. It's like, wow, look, I got this Rocket Dark Alagazam. Like, it's a Dark Alagazam. It was a 60 HP stage two with three psychic energy and no colorless and like for attacking for 40. It's like this wouldn't get through anything. This would be killed as an Abra before it was even getting a chance to evolve. This isn't a rare card or a suitable card, but it, lo and behold, as much as I have a distaste for those particular gentlemen, they shot up interest in Pokemon and the trading card market as a whole. And it's allowed people to get into the collectible boom. And even though he, it's like we saw a surge in the trading card market where things just skyrocketed into the atmosphere. And, you know, things, you know, we knew that things were going to dip. Like first edition Charizards weren't going to remain as a $10,000 card or anything like that. But of course the trading card market, you know, eventually did dip. But when it did dip, it's stayed 80% higher than it was before. And it's really cool. And I see these markets on these on these sports cards websites showing the uh just showing how the sales figures are. And it's really awesome that you know the whole thing of being stuck at home for a year has made people fall in love with collecting again. So it's just seen this surge of the surge for comic book stores, online stores, all this stuff. They they can't keep up with the demand. It's a good problem to have.
0: Exactly. Um, I, I will say like with the um, with the MCU with kind of, I don't I don't remember the exact title of it. I feel bad for this. The um, basically the one you guys did for the MCU shows for the Disney Plus. Um, that for me that was so much nostalgia because I remember the uh, I remember the Batman nineteen eighty nine trading cards. I remember the um, you know and in the 2000s when they started doing the X Men ones based off the initial movies the ones where they're like here's three hundred signed cards by Hugh Jackman. Good luck and um it totally totally put me in a place of nostalgia, and um with that, I remember that was a comic con exclusive set, and i'm like man i would I would love to get those just in the general market but i I got to ask, is it one of those things where it's like this is such a specialty item that we know that if we release it as this exclusive, that's going to sell what we need to sell like what's the business
1: approach for that the The problem is well it's like i I honestly cannot say because I'm not part of the business approach. I'm on the creative approach. I ah, am on the making of this stuff. So that's just in you know marketing or distribution, which I'm not directly involved with those departments. I'm so slammed every day working with the creative talent, and I would and I honestly have a lot more fun making this stuff than than I would marketing this stuff. I think that's really where I belong.
0: I think the problem with this is my brain. It's got like five different brains kind of fighting, and then it's like here's Ian. You get a little bit of everything, but you don't get all one thing. I'm like, I really wish I did. That'd be cool.
1: But yeah, um, it's, it's it's a thing. We're, we're, we're isolated. I do my own thing and they do their thing. And so, you know, I, I am ultimately a cog in the system. I can't move the cogs until they move. And then it's like, if I finish a project, I got to say bye to it. It goes off the marketing or production or wherever. And then I don't hear about it for six months. And then it's like, you know, news alert. It's out. It's like, oh, there's my baby again. I missed you.
0: I, I will say that at the same time, like you can both talking to you here and looking at your updates that you have on social media, you can really feel that passion there. And it really does make all the difference when you see the card sets and you're like, this feels like the cards that I had when I was kid." This doesn't feel like someone trying to create nostalgia. It feels like this is just a natural follow-up to those cartoon card sets I had as a little
1: kid. And it really is great. Uh, to see that people are just having this renewed passion for it because i mean like for me i am a hardcore spider-man fan always have been and i've been into different things as a kid i mean just like my first original passion was like lego pirates which had that lego pirate set with oh, those awesome. in the gold doubloon and that was my first comic that i read and of course that led me into a flurry of uh you know spider-man x-men star wars and there's this just this amazing, immense uh, of knowledge where you see all this stuff from my early 90s collections. If you go into my like parents' storage unit where all my toys are, it's like, you see the Lego phase, you see the <laughs> you see the Spider-Man phase, you see the Kenner Star Wars figures phase in 1995. And then um, in the later 90s, you see uh, the Spider-Man stuff. And then by 1999, all of it, there's just like nothing after that. And like what happened, because what happened in January of 1999, Pokemon cards hit America. Yep. Boom. So all of a sudden my allowance went into Pokemon. And, you know, because it was it was kind of a weird time for me as a 13-year-old boy in 1999. It's like, you know, I wasn't as excited about the prequel trilogy as I could have been after seeing them. So I didn't collect any of those action figures. And then Spider-Man was like, had shifted away from the animated series one that I have such a fondness for, still my all-time favorite cartoon, and into Spider-Man Unlimited, which I don't really have a strong fondness for. And it's yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And so it was just me, you know, just getting back into Pokemon and, you know, do the Pokemon stuff. And I followed Pokemon for the next six years. And that was where my training card obsession went up until 2006 but you know I, you know i fell back in love with comics i fell back in love with action figures and i fell back in love with collecting trading cards even at work i'm trying to recreate old x-men sets and my all-time favorite the fleer spider-man 1994 set and uh these older sets are getting pri- kind of pricey and it's it, but it's it's fun to collect them in fact i'm actually opening up packs for the first time i got uh, went to the comic store and i heard that Spider-Man the animated series was in the Fox Kids 1995 set. I'm like, okay,
0: let's yeah, open this I Yeah, I saw that. I'm just freaking and, crazy. I'm, like,
1: and I'm like, I'm opening up packs I'm like, oh, the tick, oh Bobby's world, oh Batman the Animated Series, back when all this stuff was under one roof and not you know divided up by licensers. And it's like, and these are actually got really cool holofoil on them. I'm like, this is actually opening up packs is really fun, and I forgot how fun it was because. You know, when I when I got the competitive Pokemon, it was just you know just okay. Like, hey, what can I put in my deck? What can I put in my deck? I was I was an aggressive player. I wasn't you know seeking to complete collections. I was trying to do all that stuff. But you know, it's it's been a fun ride on the trading card side of thing. But you know, I'm just you know trying to slave away for San Diego Comic Fest now because we got three months away, and I am really looking forward to that too because comics are still my mainstay passion.
0: So one thing I wanted to mention before we move into uh, Comic Fest. Um, did you ever read uh, Disney Adventures as a kid? Did you have? Did you ever have that magazine?
1: Uh, Disney Adventure Magazine? I yes. was aware of it, but I was never actually going out of my way to collect them. Uh, I know that there's a lot of really cool cover features on them that I want to go back on, but it's like I never actually went out of my way to read it.
0: So I had a ton of them as a kid. Um, it was actually the first subscription to anything that I ever got. Um, because my dad surprised me one time. Cause he, he got me a subscription to them cause I've been, i would literally been, I didn't realize until later that I had been buying them since the first issue came out back in 1990. And um, when they were like at their peak, like you would have articles on star Trek, the next generation uh, you had a big, you had, I think you had two major articles on X-Men the made series. They would cover, there was one issue that was basically all about murder mysteries. Like murder mystery movies, yes. and they actually recommended Rear Window and all this other stuff. And I'm like, "This is a Disney magazine telling me to go watch Rear Window. That's awesome." But um, one of the things about it, in retrospect, as I was going back, I remember reading this article in Wizard, and they had mentioned um, Heidi McDonald for Vertigo, and I'm like, "Heidi McDonald, this sounds really familiar." And then I go back, I'm like, "Oh, the person who ran the comic book, the comics for Disney Adventures."
1: Oh, Heidi did that
0: back in the day. That's awesome. Yep. And um uh, to kind of give you an idea, there are a lot of um there were a lot of pe- things that would get featured in there. Like they had you mentioned the you mentioned the Lego Pirates. They had a Lego Pirates comic book in there and I wonder if it was the same one because it would take ones from other stuff and put it in there so they had a full comic strip of, like really realistic looking artwork um they worked with Jeff Smith to first to give a really big push for Bone, um, and the um, they did a Simpsons comic in there. Like they did one specifically for that to promote the Simpsons comics when they first came out. And I actually found like issues two and three over at a local used bookstore called Nine Lives, and I got them for like two dollars each. And I'm like, I I'm taking these. I'm keeping these. And it's just two random issues, and I think one of them is like a takeoff on Indiana Jones with Alyssa Milano and the Beattles on the cover, which might be the most nineties thing ever.
1: It does sound super nineties, and now, geez, I might have to seek these out because, uh, and uh, you know, add another collectible craze to my already. Uh, I'm sorry, collections. Yeah, yeah. Will the, it ever end? Probably not.
0: The two, the two oh, Oh, and there is a weird out one.
1: Yeah, which I'll have to seek out. <laughs>
0: Which so, I'm still sad that you did not get the Weird Al
1: role. Uh, everyone is, but you know, just uh, them's the breaks. Um, but you know, it, that's Hollywood for you. But you know, I'm i happy that it's at, at least the biopic is moving forward because I'm, I still remain an Al fan. But I've never really been into Harry Potter, so you know.
0: But at least in the long, at least in the long run, like I I, to, I feel bad because I used to because uh, was it Rupert was it Rupert Grant the Ginger. Um, the only other role he had for the longest time was this really bad, like, kids' fart comedy from England. Mm-hmm. And now he actually has work. So I can't be like, at least it went to, her, the, to, went to uh, Radcliffe, who's talented, and not like the weird fart kid. But yeah. now I can't call him weird fart kid because he actually has other worlds. And I'm like, damn it. How dare you get to work, Rupert Grant, ruining my joke.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I've never really been in a Harry Potter, but I am in a comics.
0: Yep. So with that we got to talk about Comic Fest.
1: Yes, so that's the San reason we all come here. Yes, we are finally coming up to San Diego Comic Fest, which is finally returning after a 2-year hiatus. Um it was really cool when we did the last one, but it was 3 days before the quarantine order hit. So I mean we had a wonderful guest list of uh you know Bill Sienkiewicz, J. Michael Straczynski, Wendy and Richard Peeney, Marv Wolfman, uh, Liam Sharp, uh, just like so many talented creators. And then, you know, we had to go into hiding because of, you know, cooties, you know, taking over the world. But San Diego Comic Fest will be returning uh, April 21st through the 24th uh, back again at the uh, Four Points Sheraton Resort on Arrow Drive in the San Diego area. And for the people out there who have never heard of San Diego Comic Fest, it's an event that was started by the original founders of San Diego Comic Con to recreate the environments of the, uh, that they had back in the 1970s, where you had a small, a small room, small resort, small area, where you could constantly be bumping into legendary comic creators all the time. And it's great. And there's I have nothing against big conventions. I mean, I go to big conventions. I go to small conventions, but there's always a little bit of a hustle and bustle at conventions. You're always like rushing to one place. Creators may not have uh, may not be able to take the time that they that you want with you because you're in an autograph line. They're rushing to a panel. So, being able to just hang out with them all weekend long is just the coolest thing in the entire world. And I've assembled a great lineup for the uh, 2020 show.
0: I was going to say the fact that your guest of honors, Peter David, is just. Freaking boss Peter
1: David is our guest of honor this year And I was like, because Bill Sienkiewicz is a tough act to follow But uh, this year our theme is the uh, We're celebrating the centennial of Gene Roddenberry For all the Star Trek fans out there And uh, Have yep. Done With Travel All the you know, stuff that Roddenberry contributed And I will admit to myself that I'm not the biggest Trek fan in the world I bounce in and out, but I'm not obsessive with Trek But, you know, I'm still, you know, going gung-ho on everything for it, and especially on the comic side, the animation side, and I'm looking forward to having seen Peter David on the show, and for those out there who aren't familiar with Mr. Peter David's body of work, I consider him to probably be the most consistently good writer of the past 35 years in comics. It's just, I, I can't find stories I don't like by the man. And he's just always been good ever since he hit the ground running with uh, the death of Gene DeWolf and Spectacular Spider-Man back in the day. And yeah. it's, and it's just, he just, you know, took it from there, you know, going on to his run on Incredible Hulk where he, you know, he created Hulk's multiple personality complex and the he future. So and, much with the story and it's like over a hundred issues on the Hulk and you know like once a year he'll come back and do a Hulk one shot with uh with Dale Keown, and it's always the sickest thing. I always absolutely love reading it. And Peter David's other body of work, like you know, X Factor for us uh us early 90s X-Men fanboys. I mean that's that work still resonates. And for me it's just like those early nineties outfits I think they still slap. I love those jackets, man.
0: The fact that we have um that like we talked about the off like and the fact that he's also got his maestro series now and it's like it, it he didn't skip a beat. Like it really the thing is like we talk about writers and artists whose styles evolved and changed. And yes his styles have evolved and changed, but here's the thing he was always had that consistent and strong voice in his work, even Back when you first started, so uh, it's like so. you
1: may not consider Peter David the biggest writer in the world, but I think it's better to be a consistently good writer, where you're always yeah. good, it, where you don't have lags in your career. Here's, here's always a solid. You can't you know find a bad Peter David book, and you know especially it, it, the fact that it you know stays consistent across different media as well. Because for our Star Trek fans out there, you might know him from the uh, from the Star Trek New Frontier novel series. I think Peter David's written more Star Trek novels than any other. Yes, man alive. he
0: has. And um, okay, now I know you're not a big uh, the most Star Trek Star Trek person, mm-hmm. but for those who will get this and maybe you'll understand this to an extent, there was a book that he wrote where not only did he make Wesley Crusher the lead in the book, but he made Wesley likable
1: huh.
0: which if you uh, if anyone knows anything about the character Wesley Crusher knows that one of the most celebrated moments, including by Will Wheaton. Is the episode where he gets stabbed by a by a Ferengi soldier.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm not the most savvy Trek fan, but all I know is shut up, Wesley. I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, enough yeah. About that.
0: And he and I were watching. Like, well, the, f- the first time I met Will Wheat Night the Comic-Con was him and I laughing at that clip of him getting awkwardly stabbed. And I'm like, you're a fucking treasure, dude.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have met Will Whedon at, uh, you know, Stone Brewing at those, uh, you know, bottle releases he does uh, at Comic-Con every year. I just, you know, go in there and just like, and it's like, I know you as Wesley, but I haven't seen you as Wesley. But, you know, he's a kind of, he's a good guy with a solid sense of humor. And I I think it's, you know, very cool that he does have that legacy about him. And I'm always happy to dabble in the more. And I feel like there's still, I feel like I feel like at this point, I'm just trying to, if I get a free moment, I'm trying to know get get back into like my marathons of uh peter david reading i'm still waiting for my that reprint of uh incredible hulk omnibus volume one so that doesn't drop uh, on my doorstep till uh january 21st but i want to go through all of the hulk omnibus editions he's done you know just she hulk x factor like all this stuff that he does and even modern stuff like symbiote spider-man that he's been doing now has actually been pretty solid and is it's it's a very 1980s book and still feels like an '80s book, and that Twin Towers scene. Oh my God, that was a ballsy move, but it worked. It made the book memorable.
0: For um was it for the, with the Hulk omnibus when they did the first one? Because like you and I, we've both been buying like Marvel hardcovers and omnibuses for a long time. And while nowadays, especially with with groups like the omnibus groups on Facebook and uh, people YouTubers like Nearman conditioned, you see those reprints more regularly because that word is really getting out there. But even the people who ran that department for a long time, who, who run the department for the longest time, they didn't even know these books were out of print. So, yeah, it's like,
1: I mean, like, guys, don't you check eBay? It's like some of these ones are like, you know, selling for like 300 bucks and people are buying them. And, you know, fortunately, they have you know kept books uh, in print now. So it's hard to see like you know it, it's almost like there's no such thing as a whale anymore but i mean i do disagree because here i am 90s spider-man fanboy and i can't find me a ben riley uh, and a, a spider-man clone saga omnibus volume two they're still for like 400 on ebay and like bam they're gone in a second like
0: dude, the fact that it's volume one is still going for buco box you know and that was yeah, a recent I, I, omnibus.
1: Managed, I managed to i managed to find one someone was good I'm moving real quick and it's like, I'll sell it to you for a hundred bucks. Like, boom, give me. And it's like those omnibus groups are, you know, right there. But Excalibur uh, volume one was one of my, uh was one of my whales and uh, I managed to catch it. So yes, yeah. I got me that Michael Jackson nightcrawler.
0: <laughs> that is one of my favorite uh, runs of all time. And it's so weird because we're, we're so used to seeing Claremont on like X-Men where he's on there for 17 years. People Okay, for people who are going in, because a lot of the people reading them now are discovering them for the first time, which is really cool. But for those who are going in, it's got to be kind of a shock when you realize that those 35 issues are Chris Claremont's run.
1: Yeah. And it's just, you know, people, you know, it's it's all there. And it's like, you know, I picked up Excalibur issues as a kid because, you know, I, Nightcrawler was my favorite X-Men. I followed him. To yes. The- dude, Night, Nightcrawler,
0: they- Kitty Pride, and Swarm are my three favorite X-Men ever.
1: They are uh just so awesome and I do love them along the way. And it's just you know, I'm always happy to, you know, showcase these different events and stuff like that. It, it's just like it's just brings me so much joy to bring in so many creators and she's like, you know, we've gone on this topic, but like I feel like we should get back on Comic Fest because I'm not That's done sure. talking about the creators that we got. Um I'm always uh, happy to showcase uh, creators of animation as well at Comic Fest, and there's one animation creator I am really, really ecstatic to bring on board this year, Mr. Tom Ruger. If you're not familiar with this man's career, uh, he created a pup named Scooby-Doo. Uh, he caught the attention of a gentleman named Steven Spielberg, who uh, animani- wanted to bring him on yes. board for some animating right. for uh, for Tiny Toon Adventures. And then for Animaniacs, and Freakazoid, and Hysteria, and 7D, and I am looking forward to having the celebration of the cartoons of my youth from this guy, because I love this guy's work.
0: Yeah, it's, that's, seriously, that's so awesome.
1: Like, yes, I'm an, I'm, a, I'm a huge Animaniacs fanatic, and I I... I, I you know, can't get enough. I mean, it's a it's a cartoon I watched with my mom, and my mom would laugh at, at more at it than I would because, oh, I, I wasn't getting the jokes they were dropping as a kid, but uh, she was.
0: Dude, I literally, I remember every every day after school before I did any of my homework, um, it was because we were in Arizona, so I think that would be like an hour ahead of California. I can I remember? Um, so whenever we they were like, I knew for a fact that two thirty after school was animaniacs i would go i would get my snack i would go to my room i would watch animaniacs and then at three o'clock i would watch batman the animated series and then get started on my homework
1: uh, yeah man whereas i would just read comics and you know stuff all the time and just you know not do my homework because you know i'm a rebel like that wait I mean, no okay. i wasn't well i wasn't a smart nerd i was just a lazy nerd but I am putting my passion to good use these days and making sure that the fans have an opportunity to meet these wonderful creators and share their love, too. So as we go down the list of people uh, coming into the convention scene, I've also got another uh, creator that I'm a very big fan of coming to the show, Mr. Ben Templesmith.
0: Yes, I, I love Ben Templesmith. I love the fact that Ben Templesmith is a man who constantly looks like he should be Doctor Who.
1: That's a, that's a good point. He does look like he's uh, he could be a Doctor Who uh, himself. Even though I'm not really into Doctor Who myself, but you know I do love the man's work. I mean, when you consider his body of work that I just like can't get enough of, like Thirty Days of Night, like Fell, uh, Ten Grand, you know Wormwood, Gentleman, Corpse, Dead Space is just it's just he he knows how to do a horror and dark stuff and it's just in it and it hits every single time and i'm just you know happy to have him on board of the show he's you know back in san diego now he's uh you know happy to be here so i figured like you know why not bring a if he's a local boy bring him in for the show so like on the you know headlining thing it's it's so cool when you you know pass out a flyer to someone hey do you like peter david now do you like enemy next no but i am a big horror fan so it's like you can wrangle people with one of those three big leads and i'm happy to have that new uh, the new wave of talent at the show but I've always got some wonderful fan favorites that I'm uh, always happy to bring back to San Diego Comic Fest, like Marv Wolfman, who you might know from uh, Noonteen Titans, <laughs> uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, Tomb of Dracula, you know, he created Black Cat, he created Blade the Vampire Hunter, uh, Starfire, Raven, so many other wonderful creator creations over the past 50 years of his career. and it's And he's a wonderfully nice guy. And I'm no, happy to have him back of the show. And uh, I always wanna I, I wanna do some stuff for panels with like Marv and Peter, because Peter David says he wants to do some panels with I think I know the right one for them the comics of Star Trek, because it's like it was Peter David who was doing the DC ones, but Marv Wolfman was doing the Marvel Star Trek, right? Um or did I, I get that? Back?
0: Yeah. No, I think left.
1: But I want to do ah, some because so many- I know they do have a have a you know good following for all, all the stuff they do. Um and it's just it is just really wonderful to see uh these guys and, and you know what's what's even worse what's even better is you have the creators that are just having these reunions with their friends and being able to take the time with them. And other uh as you know, other guests we can go down the list real quick with um, uh, Bringing back uh, Mr. Joe Phillips, who you might know from Miracle Man, Incredible Hulk, Wonder Woman, uh, the Fleer Ultra X-Men series, and Marvel Masterpieces. So it's like, boom, some training card notoriety right there with my good pal Joe. And then we got Scott Shaw, who you might know from uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the Flintstones, Camp Candy, Captain Carrot, Muppet Babies, and of course the world famous Oddball. So
0: Marv Wolfman, by the way, was on DC for Star Trek.
1: Oh, Marvel was on DC for Star Trek. Okay, okay. So yeah. I got it backwards. Okay. Yeah. As uh, like, I knew it's like. Like I said, I'm not a Trek fan. I know they did comics, but it was just like, okay, I know the, the licensing bounces around. Um, and other cool, uh, cool cats come to the show. Uh, I can't think of anyone cooler than Chris Ryle, who you might know from his 17 years at IDW Publishing, and he just started off his. Uh, New imprint now, and I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong because he won't tell me how it's pronounced. I believe it's Syzygy, which means uh, collaborative energy. So it's uh, if you read that uh, that new book that he did uh, with Joe Hill, uh, Rain, that book came out last week. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting from that book, but oh, my God, I was not expecting that. And I am really looking forward to issue two. It's it kind of it's it's really cool that uh, Joe Hill goes just like wherever Ryle does. You know they worked in the past on Lock and Key and like so many other projects. And you know Ryle stands on his own uh, as a writer and editor. Of stuff like you know Ron, like Onyx, Groom Lake, which was with Ben TempleSmith, and uh, Zombie versus Robots. So like he's got a lot of very fun stuff. And the man is so passionate about comics. I'm so happy that he's got his new imprinted image, and he is just having the time of his life.
0: that, that was too awesome. You mentioned oh, yeah. earlier animation uh with Tom with uh, Tom Ruger. Mm-hmm. Um you have Buzz Dixon coming on. We we had Buzz previously on as, as a jo- on as a guest, and of course he worked on G.I. Joe, Transformers, Thundar, Batman, Tiny Two Adventures. He actually did, if you remember, you probably already know this. So I'm probably already explaining to someone already knows, but the um the bat the famous Batman episode, the one with the bat with Bat Duck. Where they did the Dark Knight Returns spoof? That was actually his episode, or one oh, of his.
1: I did not know that. Yeah, so that's cool. And uh, yeah, I'm always happy to bring back Buzz. Buzz is just wherever he goes, the GI Joe and Transformers fandom always follows because he's that guy who just wrote the 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 animation of every the animation of every 80s kid back in the day. And for my, for the most part, it's like that's the generation of animation right before me because my stuff was more late 80s, early 90s growing up. But it's just so nice. Just he's just a wonderful guy and so talented. And the fact that he, you know, kept it going for so long, it's just really wonderful to see. And so he's always welcome at Comic Fest. And other guests, I'm happy to bring in uh, Jim Kruger, who you might know is the Eisner Award-winning writer of Justice, the Earth X trilogy, which was the basis for the Eternals film and Project Superpowers, just to name a few. Jim is you know wonderful. And fun fact about Jim: when he first start, started working in Marvel. He started working in their advertising department. So he was like working on their insert commercials for other comics. And so he actually did do a lot of the uh, Star Trek uh, uh, comic advertising. But I think his greatest creation, and I would love for him to talk about it, is one that every 90s Spider-Man fanboy remembers from the early days of the 90s. Combo Man. Oh, my God. Seriously? He created Combo Man.
0: That is the greatest in the world.
1: He created combo man, and it's like man is like the the like I never even ate combos, but like I just love combo man. And I, I even read his comic that Mark Grunwald of all people wrote. He got his powers to turn into every Marvel superhero at once by eating combos.
0: By the way, um speaking of Mark Grunwald, the Falcon and Winter Soldier, when that came out, uh we, we did a review of the whole series on the podcast and one of the things i want i brought up consistently on there was mark runewald because my co-host didn't necessarily know about him because most of them a lot of them came into marvel later on and as we're watching the show and as we're going through the whole series we're realizing just how many of mark runewald's characters and creations played such a major role in the show and i don't know about you but like seeing this creator get so much of his his work out there it's posthumous and sadly but being able to see that it almost does feel like an honor to the man
1: and it, like, it is an honor to the man because you know I, I came was. into the the grunwald scene uh, a lot later and i would like to because I mean, he was on cap for like what 20 years so he had a lot of contributions because i will admit uh you know the whole thing there is like reading comics i was never gravitated toward captain america i was never he was like to me at first he was just a big blue boy scout and Captain America, I never got into him until one of my friends who ran the comic shop was like, this first couple issues of this guy, Ed Brubaker, you know, I know you're reading Criminal and stuff like that, but like, read this one, read this. This is so good. Well, actually, this Criminal came later, but he just said, read this Captain America. It, it is it is good. I'm like, I'm not into Captain America. Just read it. And it started, you know, really compelling me with that first issue. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then it, it, was, it was like the first time when I, like, I realized I liked another character more than Spider-Man in comics for the first time. And I think Ed Brubaker's run in Captain America, those first two 42 issues that he did with uh, with Steve Efting and Mike Perkins, I think it's just the most absolutely solid comic ongoing ever. And I, 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 and that's, you know, opinion. But then going back and learning about, like, you know, Crossbones and getting into more detail, like, you know, you'll see all the, Kind of weird stuff, uh, like the Bloodstone Hunt that Mark Grunewald did. And it's just like it's just real, it's it's fun stuff. I love
0: like you mentioned Brewbaker. I love how much Brewbreaker played into that history and the world that was developed by Greenwald during his era on the book. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going back and reading it for the first time and I'm like, oh my god, this feels like this feels I, I don't know if we could use the term sequel. But it almost, it feels like, it kind of feels like a sequel. Like it's, it's it does feel like story. a sequel
1: because Brubaker is, like, the thing I love most about his writing form is he does do his research. And he is, the, he, was, he is the master of making your past come back to haunt you. And, I mean, I was kind of freaking out when you get to the big reveal of who is the Winter Soldier. And I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, no, 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 hold up, hold up, hold the front door. You can't do that. You can't bring back Uncle Ben. You can't bring back Batman's parents. You can't bring back Bucky. You can't do that. And then, well, they and didn't they explain it, it the next issue it. because the next issue was House of M tie-in, which, um, yeah, which is, okay, hold the front door, move ahead, and then they explain Bucky's resurrection or where he's been all this time, and I'm like, okay, okay, you can bring back Bucky because that actually makes perfect sense. Yep so and it's so he it, that run was just basically your whole ex. it was like, it was, it was like it's the, the exclamation of your your past coming back to haunt you and it's so damn cool so
0: there's a guess i want to talk about because mm-hmm. i'm a as you know i i mean my my two bad passions are comics and movies specifically like the special effects and design side of design of movies and you have william
1: stout Oh yes, now, we'll uh, out who is who has been a guest at San Diego Comic Fest every year since we started.
0: Yeah, and people don't realize, like, I, I mean, the fact that he's his first movie, like he had, he had done Buck Rogers in the 25th century, but like this most well, probably one of his first works is Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is as a storyboard artist, which is like one of the one of the like biggest ways you can start right there and like the it seems like there are a lot of production designers special effects people people work all over the place who tend to work in a specific era the thing i love about him and his work often if he kind of reminds me of the writer william goldman because he's someone where if you look hard enough you're going to see his work consistently everywhere because like he worked on the movie the mist even he worked on the prestige uh pan's labyrinth like he's been he's been in the industry for a lot longer than I think people realize. And it's still in the industry for a longer time than people realize that that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And his, and his work is everywhere. Uh, There was a couple of years ago where uh, Bill came to do uh, a lecture at the uh, San Diego museum of natural art, where he drew the murals on it. So he drew the murals at the San Diego museum of natural art. He did them at, uh, at the San Diego zoo. His work is all over the city of San Diego. So, and he talked about his, career over the past 50 years and he talked about um going to art school and his whole thing was he said that his teacher said that if you can get work doing professional art i will count that as a grade for you and as a project for you so he auditioned his work for um you know war horror magazines and he got a cover feature and he drew that and then he was still working a job uh you know to get through college and he was working as an illustrator caricaturist at disneyland and then while well, he's working there in the, uh, the French Quarter, uh, this kid comes up to him and says, and he sees because he saw him sign his work on the, uh, on the art. He says, Hey, you're William Stout. Are you the guy that does the horror uh, covers for, uh, for, the, for Warren Magazine? He says, uh, Yes, I am. My name is Scott Shaw. And I'm putting together this event called the San Diego Comic Con. Would you like to be a special guest? So Bill was a special guest at the first San Diego Comic-Con. And as every, at this point is one of three people who has been to every single San Diego Comic-Con.
0: And do you actually and no, you have a lot of... of...
1: the sad passing of Gene Henderson last year. He's one of two people. Uh, both him and Jackie Estrada are the only two people who have been to every single San Diego Comic-Con.
0: You have a lot of... I know with the show, like from IMC, you have a lot of Comic-Con and San Diego Comic-Con alumni coming to the show, which is really exciting, especially with someone like Jackie Estrada.
1: Yes, Jackie is just absolutely wonderful because she's just such a... She's just a nonstop just... Barrage of comic history. You can't get a bad conversation out of her. Just like you know, let her sip a tab and talk to you about all the great creators she's met over the years and her wonderful artwork and the collections and everything she's done. It's just like you. If you want to get the story straight about certain creators of Comic Con history, she is the she is the go to lady for it. Yeah.
0: So I got I got to say, while obviously as someone who's uh, working in this kind of position, uh, while at this while while working for Sunday Comic Fest, and it's, I know it's hard to say one moment so what are the three moments that you had where you just couldn't even you 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 almost dropped the professional venue or you do because you just have that geek out moment i gotta hear about this
1: okay so anyone who knows me knows that my favorite cartoon of all time and what i think is the greatest rendition of spider-man uh is the spider-man animated series and i have these Great moments with John Semper, who is the creator of the show, uh, and he was the showrunner, lead writer, you know, basically the the, the go-to guy behind all things Spider-Man. And one of the few times I've ever freaked out at a convention and just, like, absolutely lost it is well the first time was in 2012 when uh when i was in line for john Romita jr with my friend steve we're holding our omnibus editions you know waiting to get, get him signed And so i'm thinking i'm talking to steve it's like wow this sure is exciting being in line for john Romita jr my favorite spider-man artist nothing is going to make me freak out more than this and all of a sudden john semper like walks right in front of me and i'm like oh my god john semper oh my god my name is matt Dunford i'm the biggest fan of the world of the spider-man animated series and i just start saying it's like all this stuff he's like Wow, I've never heard anyone with such enthusiasm for the Spider-Man animated series ever. And he's like, "Yeah, I know you. Uh, you're that kid from Facebook, right?" And it's like, "Yes, it was." And so when I started volunteering for a Comic Fest, I they they said, "Is it okay if I invite one person? One person." I invited John, and I invited John to be a guest at Comic Fest, and people loved it. The professionals loved working with him. The fans loved talking Spider-Man about with him. He's you know worked with Stan Lee. He's worked with. Uh, Uh, Just, uh, you know, George Lucas, like Jim Henson, such wonderful creators across his 40 years or so in animation. And it's just always a pleasure to, and if you see him, like, and us on panels together, you see me with the biggest smile on my face, but the biggest moment where I just had to, where I just absolutely lost it because I was having the absolute time of my life is uh, two years ago when we were celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Spider-Man, uh, no, not 25th anniversary of the Spider-Man anime series. Yeah, we're not that old yet. Because um, in uh, late 2018, I got invited to a screening of Into the Spider-Verse and I watched it and I was thinking like, eh, all right, time for another Sony Spider-Man movie because I hadn't really been thrilled with the Sony Spider-Man movies. And I watched Spider-Verse and I was like, wait, that was actually really good. That was like really, really good. But I've seen it before, so I got on the phone and I texted John and I said, John, I know you make a point to not watch Spider-Man projects after after yours because you want to remain impartial to things, but I think you should watch Spider-Verse. I'm not telling you why you should watch Spider-Verse, but you should see, and he did watch it, and he says, I see your point." And he said, "Would uh, Matt, would you be uh, would you be willing to do a panel with me at Comic Fest to uh, talk about where Spider Verse actually came from?" And I said, "I would be delighted," because I had. And when we went to uh, Comic Fest and we talked about the origin of Spider Verse. He's like, "All right, I'm going to show you all you want." We have like 200 people in the room. And he's like, "Here's the true origin of Spider Verse." He pulls out a single action figure and he says, "Matt." Can you tell me who this guy is? That is Web Armor Spider-Man. He was uh, released in Spider-Man Series 2, which came out February 6, 1995. Uh, It's like a little more information than I needed, but yes. (laughs) And then he says, and what does it say on the package right here? Now appearing on the new animated series. And he says, yes. The thing is, I had always kept in mind to keep every character that was appearing on the animated series as an action figure would feature it on the show. But then they released this action figure, and I had no plans to use this guy whatsoever. And then they started coming out with more Spider-Man action figures that I had no plans to use on the show. And I just, John just said, you know, when I was finishing the show, he said, I want to do something for the fans, something that I will love. Spider-Man is going to get his biggest challenge yet. He is going to have to save the universe And he's going to have to team up with all of these Spider-Men from different universes. And they're going to be the action figures that never made it onto the show. And he's going to save the universe from himself. And of course, his enemy there was Spider Carnage. And it was just the coolest thing ever. Because it was that wonderful moment where like, John just did something that was perfectly suited for this larger-than-life story, the Spider-Man's ultimate challenge where he in the end wins with compassion and he did something for the kids. He said to me, you know, I wanted to make sure that the kids didn't feel ripped off if they were buying a Spider-Man action figure and it didn't appear on the show. And I said to John, well, that's not true. I, I never felt ripped off. Uh, you know, if I bought a Spider-Man action figure, that never appeared on the show. And I said, you know, I'd like to give a special shout out to someone who, uh, who bought more Spider-Man action figures than anyone else. And I point to Front Row Center, can we give a round of applause for my dad? And the entire room erupts in laughter and applause. And John says, thanks, Dr. Dunford, for keeping Spider-Man in business with all your trips to Toys R Us. <laughs> and it was a great moment because that was my favorite episode of Spider-Man. Farewell to Spider-Man. I think it's the not only the greatest Spider-Man story of all time, it's just, it's just the greatest story of all time. Because I, I first saw that, uh, oddly enough, before it appeared in America, uh, my dad had taken us to a, taken us to, a, to Canada on a, on a trip to see the glaciers, which are no longer there anymore. But uh, we, we got back to our hotel room. Uh, no, no, it was, geez, no, no. It's like, you know, we went to see the glaciers. We had two weeks there so we could kill some time. We went to, you know, go to town and we decided to go to the movies and we watched Spawn. So that shows you, I was back in 1997, shows us like, yeah, yeah, we got to go see Spawn.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing that theaters. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and then we leave the, the theater and all of a sudden there's just a, this big moose in front of us just walking around town and people are like super chill about it. It's like, there's a giant moose, like the size of an SUV just walking around and the people in Canada are like, yeah, that's how we do it, eh? And it's like, okay, it's okay, We're just mooses walking around all over. And I get back and I watch this network called YTV which was really cool. And it's like coming up next is Spider-Man and they showed farewell to Spider-Man the final episode. And it's like, it was this weird thing of like, wait, 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 what am I, am I witnessing the final episode of Spider-Man? And it blew my mind. Imagine seeing what you saw without seeing the final season of Spider-Man. I don't know why Canada got it first, but people are like, Oh yeah, that's right. Canada did get stuff first because when I used to pirate stuff off of K- off of Kazaa, it would have a YTV logo. Oh my god, I remember Kazaa. Yeah, but you might remember those pirated TV shows had had YTV in the lower right corner. Yes, so Canada got those those episodes before America did for some reason. Uh,
0: okay, here's the weird thing. Um, yeah, till I went till we went to visit Toronto, I was like, "What the hell is Teletoon?"
1: And, and why is it so much cooler than what we got back in America?
0: And it was this weird conglomeration because they didn't have South Park. They didn't really have Comedy Central, so they just put it on South on Teleton. And I'm um, and then um the was it Creature or whatever the horror channel we got here in the United States on cable for a while, like in the two thousands. I remember they had that there except it was unedited. So we were watching the omen, the original omen's unedited on TV while um while the nanny like hunters herself and threw herself out a window. And I'm like, um, this is not even cable. It's like basic, basic cable. Why is Canadian TV awesome? Because apparently that just happened.
1: Yeah, and it is just, you know, so so cool to see. And I just had those wonderful moments, but that was my key freakout moment. Just being on stage with John Semper talking about my all-time favorite cartoon and bringing some history and perspective and having that big history reveal with it right there. And it was just the, it just made them, it just made my life. And, you know, doing it in front of my, with my, with my dad there, you know, he, he never really understood my love for Spider-Man, but he was supportive of it. And now he's seeing his son on stage, getting able to, you know, talk about the thing he loves with, with an audience and, you know, give up greater appreciation for John because, John wasn't exactly getting the credit that he deserved for it because how much of the Marvel universe is because of John and his action figures that he had, because it was just always, he'd work on Spider-Man or something. And then Avi Arad, the head of toy biz would come in and say, "Who this guy? And he's like, oh, that's Blade, the vampire hunter. Okay, cool. And he, then Oz makes a movie with Blade. But the stuff that Blade was doing was what John was doing in the Spider-Man animated series. Yeah, was- even
0: the look for him. Yeah. yeah,
1: and you know, not not every single one of uh, not every single one of the uh, toys that that uh, Avi stole off of uh, John's desk worked out well. I mean, uh, for us uh, '90s kids, anyone remember Generation X? And anyone remember the uh, Nick Fury movie? I will defend Nick Fury's casting of David Hasselhoff because he had the look. He had the look, but the movie was well. I don't remember it, and I think there's a reason for that.
0: The weird thing is, I remember seeing the Generation. Okay. It's this ties into when you mentioned that they would get chosen Canada first. Um, Mm -hmm. I come from, I'm from a military family and there was about three years back when my dad was on assignment in Panama and you had some cable, you had some American channels, mostly like Ted Turner channels, like TNT, TBS, uh, WGN, stuff like that. And people don't really know what WGN was. It was a Chicago network that was basically the WB. And, um, but they, we didn't get Fox. So there was like episodes and episodes of Spider-Man. Cause I saw it right before we left Florida. And then I saw it when we got back and there's this giant leap. Cause unlike a lot of shows, basically it was, it was pretty much reading a comic because every season was pretty, basically a self-contained multi-part, not self contained, but like a multi-part story throughout the entire season. So I missed all that all I saw were the toys and I was like who is the guy in the robot wheelchair I'm very confused and then I came back as a kid and I saw this I'm like I don't know what's going on because it was so entrenched in the multi-part storyline that I'm just sitting here it's like oh he's got multiple arms now okay and because we just missed so much but um it was but the thing about it at the same time is that yeah we would get we wouldn't get there we were one of my favorite things were basically two like star trek nerds who clearly worked for like a on-base tv channel and they just wanted to show make a star trek marathon i don't know how many if they did it totally legally or not but they came on in star trek uniforms and started hosting different episodes and i'm like i feel like this isn't totally official but i'm fine with it because they took they took our fox away they had all the WGN, network, all, all the Turner networks, including Cartoon Network, were free back when they had to pay for it, but Fox, for some reason, they didn't have. So I missed like years of like X-Men and Spider-Man, and I really don't care about the other Marvel 90 shows as much, but X-Men and Spider-Man, uh, it, was, it was weird having that gap and having to play catch up.
1: You know, Although, I, I think Fantastic Four, and Iron Man, were actually pretty solid, but like you know, it's just like they weren't. I just don't think it's just Spider Man and X Men were a big step above them.
0: You know what it was? Um, and this, I always found this is a weird trend for the other shows. For like Iron Man, you had the first season that wasn't that great, but then second season was really good. Yeah, and then you yeah, had it
1: was like it was, it was it was reboot syndrome, like you know, reboots first season. Ain't all that. But reboot season two, when like Enzo comes back, it's like a first person shooter type guy. Oh, speaking of, yeah, Speaking of YTV. But,
0: but that's a weird thing. Hulk and Fantastic Four did the exact same thing where they mm-hmm. had that really okay first season, then just picked up on the second season. And I'm like, who are these writers for the second season? So why aren't you getting them to work on the first one?
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's speaking of other shows where things step up in season two, like X-Men Evolution is another example of that.
0: Not oh my God. First yes.
1: Season, but oh my God, they really stepped it up.
0: Okay, here's the thing. I like a lot of people, um, having grown up with X-Men they made series, I got to that first season, of X-Men Evolution. It's like, hey kids, do you think Saved by the Bell would be better with mutant powers? And I'm like, no. And then I gave up on after the first season that I go back and watch it now because of Disney Plus, which I wanted to mention specifically, because uh John is his name has gotten even bigger and bigger and bigger thanks to both Comic fest and to the fact that it's just seeing that all the access to it on disney plus which we haven't had streaming access to spider-man or x-men for years prior to that uh back when netflix had it for like a whole minute but um yeah seeing it on there and actually getting to sit down and just watch all of evolution i'm like holy crap that was like the most dramatic leap in quality from one season for the next
1: yeah. I mean, I, I was generally impressed. You know, I wish I'd got another season, but you know, I think it's just, I'm satisfied with what it was. And you know, my, as you might know with me, it's just like, you know, I, I love coming on stuff like this to talk with you and just getting a chance to talk with the fans because I, I, we, we spend so much time learning about this stuff and I just want to share it with everyone else. And so it's like, I'm glad for that opportunity to do what I do, you know, at San Diego comic fest and, you know, doing the trading card stuff because I'm, I may not have as much time to read and indulge in these things as I used to, because that's the thing I've, I've taken on leadership abilities. So it's like, I I can't read as much as i like. I can't watch TV as much as I like, cause I'm always working on this stuff. And in the end, work is always going to make you tired, but you know, if you work on something you love, at least, you know, you've got that rewarding feeling about it. So you're, you're exhausted in a good way.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I completely understand what you mean. But um, with that, uh, was there anything else in particular you want to touch on regarding your work with Upper Deck or Comic Fest before we kind of wrap things up?
1: Well, uh, you know, we can, you know I, can definitely, I can definitely, I can't talk much about Upper Deck, but I can definitely talk about Comic Fest. So, you know, we will be returning, uh, just like I say, the uh, uh, April 21st through the 24th at the Point Sheraton Resort. You can check us out. Uh, more information at www.comicfest.org. We uh, you know, are on Facebook at San Diego Comic Fest. We are on Instagram at SD Comic Fest. Uh, I'm weirded out now by the fact that I'm becoming somewhat of a TikTok star at the San Diego Comic Fest channel. At, okay, talk uh, about
0: oh. that because I'm seeing this and people need to hear about this.
1: Okay. So everyone says, Matt, get on TikTok, get on TikTok. I don't want to do karaoke videos. Well, then just talk on, talk about comics. So we made a comic fest TikTok and all right. I just get on there and just, you know, talk about these comic fun facts like I do myself. And like this all started when I was just with a, with a friend and he said, you know, make a TikTok. We'll do it right now. So we're in a toy store. And I said, uh, okay, you want a fun fact about something? Point to something. He's like that Spider-Man and Mary Jane with the Christmas hats. And like, did you know that Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man was only allowed to be packaged with female characters because Avi Arad of Toy Biz felt that female characters wouldn't sell. So they were always packaged with Spider-Man. And he opposed the idea of Madam Web on the show and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, people share it and they talk about it and they like it. And my biggest video, or at least last week, um, I this is so embarrassing, but I just picked up my shocker action figure and said, The Shocker, one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. Did you know that his original name was the Vibrator? Yes, his powers are vibrational. He's got a V on his chest. He's got a V on his head. His little padding stuff has V patterns on it. But then when his creators found out what a Vibrator was, they said, we got to drop that. And we got to say, like, you know, but... And fortunately, they changed it to the shocker, which has no meaning behind it whatsoever. So I put this video out there. And like my friend who, you know, posts up the the TikTok videos, he posted it out there in the morning. I didn't get a chance to see it. I didn't know this blew up with 300,000 views in a day. And I went to drop off some promo materials at the comics and stuff in Carlsbad in North San Diego. Like it was a Tuesday afternoon. And uh, I said, oh, I got to pick up something over there. Oh, look, they got a 1994 Spider-Man uh, puzzle set. I'm going to buy this. Okay, I was about to buy my $20 puzzle. The girl behind the counter is like, it's the vibrator guy! And everyone <laughs> in the store just turns and looks at me like, what? Yeah, you're the vibrator guy from TikTok. Oh, my God. And that's, that's my life now. I'm the vibrator guy. <laughs> I'm shaken but not stirred. It's like I had a mask on and she recognized me as the vibrator guy.
0: What's the hair, man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you, are you I, okay. You and I are both loquacious motherfuckers. It's probably why we get along so well. Uh, mm-hmm. That and the extreme nerdiness. The fact that you just brought me to silence.
1: With my dumb fun facts,
0: yes, yes. it's uh... Silence interjected with laughter. That uh, I, I can't, I just can't, but that's amazing. My friend is a vibrator guy, this must be known.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so this is just what my life is now. But I'm having fun with it. And I want everyone else to have fun with it because first and foremost, I want the fans to have fun. And you know, I and I ask everyone, come check out San Diego Comic Fest April 21st to the 24th. Check us out at sdcomicfest.org. You can buy your you can buy uh your tickets online. You can uh Purchase discounted hotel rooms via our website. And you can come and celebrate the centennial of Gene Roddenberry. And please come meet Peter David. Please come meet Tom Ruger. Take the opportunity to meet these creators who made so many cool stories. And I mean, actually, one more thing I want to talk about Peter David like for us of the Nickelodeon generation, he made space cases. That was the <gasps> dope one. Yes,
0: yes, I was wondering if you were going to mention space cases.
1: Yes, Space Gang Ryan mentioned space cases. But just, you know, I want you all to come out to San Diego Comic Fest because I'm really looking forward to seeing you. And I love this convention. I love being able to put this together. It's focused on the people who create the material, not so much focused on actors or film and something. There's a presence for it. But, you know, we love comics. We love animation. We love all this science fiction stuff. So come on out and be a part of it and enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Yeah.
0: And for those And for those looking to find Circuit 42, you can, of course, find us on facebook you can find us on instagram and you can find us on twitter and you can listen to us on itunes spotify and oddly enough one of our more popular uh more popular ways to listen to us iHeartRadio. radio i don't i didn't even know that was still a thing but apparently we are well listened to on iHeartRadio. radio so there you go okay
1: um once again i am matt dunford chairman of the san diego comic fest and the vibrator guy
0: that's vibrator guy and so with that Go find the vibrator guy at San Diego Comic Fest. Tell him you, tell him hello, and listen to Circuit 42. With that, have a great night, everyone.